everyone, and welcome to the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, June 4th, 2021. I'm your host, Mark Krishnez, and today I've got a whole bunch of games to talk about, including Made of Scare, spelled S-K-E-R. So I want I really want to say Made of Scare, Made of Scare, but it's Made of Scare, I guess. I forget what it is, Scandinavian or something? But apparently it's pronounced scare, which I appreciate for the not being scare, but sounding like scare aspect of it. <laughs> then Mighty Goose, Rise of the Slime, Wonder Boy, Asha in Monster World, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Stormground. That, that's all one game. That was, that was a colon after Sigmar, in case you couldn't tell in the way I said it because how can you tell anything the way I say it? Dark Knights with Poe and Monroe, Death Crown, and last but not least, except in this case kind of least, Leisure Suit Larry, Wet Dreams, Dry Twice. And I'll get to why that is least at the end of the show. And I'm not saying this, but uh, he might have a yeast infection. No, he doesn't. Or does he? I don't know. He could, though. Anywho, before I get to all that I've been playing, let's talk a bit about me. There's no news. Nothing happened since the last episode. Things have happened. Whatever. We got God of War being delayed until 2022, which maybe it was when it originally was revealed and had its logo shown or whatever that it was a 2021 release or a hopeful 2021 release. But I don't remember that being the case. So I didn't think they needed to say, or I don't know why it had to be referred to as a delay. It's just like, okay, it's coming out in 2022. We're finally ready to be concrete with our date. 2022 is the year it's coming out. And then it was also revealed that God of War, whatever it's going to be called, God of War 2, probably Ragnarok, and Gran Turismo 7 are both going to be cross-gen game so there will be ps4 versions of both and that really disappointed some and i i don't care i think it's great it means more people are going to be able to play those games and with what sony studios are able to do on sony platforms i don't feel like we're going to be missing out too much unless there were things that they wanted to do ratchet-wise where they would need the power of the SSD in particular. I think having a prettier version that runs better or has a 60 FPS mode, etc. on the PlayStation 5 is good enough for me. But I'm I'm easy to please, even though I hate most things. It's, it's a weird line to live by. I, I am easy to please. Yet, rarely anything ever does it. What's wrong? What's going on there? But, in terms of me, streaming has been going well. The last game I streamed was Jumanji, the video game. And I, I did play that for Attack of the Backlog because any game counts. And not to spoil it, but it's, it's not bad. It isn't a bad game. It's a very bare-bones experience. It's basically Left 4 Dead, 
with four different maps areas and it's fine it controls fine it doesn't look too bad it runs well it doesn't have the original actors doing their voices maybe jack black is doing his voice it sounds potentially close and the lady who i can't think of name wise she was in i believe one of the seasons of doctor who i think that's where people first were really introduced to her and then she is nebula in the guardians movies I don't know if she does her voice. I don't remember her saying that much when playing, but definitely The Rock and Kevin Hart do not do their own voice. But it's not a terrible game. So, yeah, streaming has been going well, and I've doubled down her. The weird thing about Twitch is that when they added all these new tags, a lot of them about identity and representation and stuff like that, so they've added a lot more specific tags regarding gender identity, sexual orientation, you know, things that are terms within the queer community, so you can be more specific about who you are and how you identify and, and all that. I was finally able to accept that I am asexual. And that was a big moment for me, even though I was just doing it by myself, really actually realizing that and accepting that was kind of big for me. And this year has turned out to be the year of me and me bettering myself, me doing more things for myself, really, where I have gone and started building a wardrobe from nothing. Uh, instead of just having a bunch of white tees, I have a bunch of tees that are of things I love that better, not better represent me, but just are things I feel comfortable in. And I, I'm able to put those feelings out there in a way, I guess. And I just ordered my first ever bed mattress. And you may be saying to yourself, wait, what have you been sleeping on all these years? I've been sleeping on mattresses. There was a period of time where I slept on the floor because I was more comfortable when I was very little. But I've only ever had hand-me-down mattresses. I've never had a brand new mattress from day one that is my own. And now I will. And that's, that's exciting. I, I didn't want to skimp out either. I wanted to get a mattress that would be good for my back because that was something that was important to me. And I did a lot of research. So much research. I've seen more mattresses than I ever want to see in my life. But that should be exciting. And I'm just... I've been really thinking about myself a bit more this year than usual. So that's that's a nice change, I guess. It's it's me saying that the the whole midlife crisis at 35 is a real thing. Maybe. But it just is kind of funny that all of this is happening the year I turned 35, which is the year or the age that I still associate with midlife crises because, I don't know, I just assume we're all going to die at 70. But, yeah. In terms of streaming, I still need to get on 
track to just doing the schedule every single day when I plan to. But part of it is just that doing all these things, the time I've spent researching mattresses and all these other things, I I still just get to a point where it's like, ah, I'm, I've got so much other work that I need to do and I, I can't stream this night and that night. So I still am a bit overwhelmed with all these things in my life and I just need to get to the point where all these other things are good and done with and I can just focus on the core things that I want to do and I'll have more time to to put towards this and this and everything else will be over and done with. So yeah, I do plan on streaming. I think I settled on Max Payne 3 next because that's a game I've been wanting to play forever and I, I think it's time. I think it's finally time to play that game, which is a sequel I, I, I could not get into when I first played it. I did play it on the hardest difficulty, and I'm just going to play it on normal this time. So that definitely didn't help. That was probably the biggest factor in me not finishing it originally. But I'm excited to go back and play that. It's not backward compatible, but it is on the 360. I don't know why I said it, but it is on the 360. Like, that's a surprise. But I own it digitally because anytime a game went on sale after Xbox implemented the backward compatibility stuff, I was like, okay, one day, one day maybe. I'll just buy this in case it happens. But at least with the digital version, I won't have to swap discs which I believe is the case on 360, at least with Max Payne 3. But that should be exciting. And a weird side effect of me playing Jumanji, the video game, is that I feel like I kind of want to do a mixture moving forward for Attack the Backlog of games I really, really, really want to play. And then these more unexpected ones that probably don't have a lot of reviews or opinion pieces on the YouTubes about them that may in one way lead to more interactions and engagement because I'll be one of the few resources out there for those games and just because I don't know I think it could be funny because you you never know what might happen like with Jumanji where it's like huh? this isn't a bad game if if I if I had a kid who was really into the new Jumanji movies it's a game that we could play together that I wouldn't be upset about playing together I wouldn't be like oh god when is my kid gonna grow out of loving this thing I do not want to play any more of this it's not like that with Jumanji the video game sure it's repetitive and there's not that much there. Shouldn't be a $40 game. Should be $15 or $20. I think at that price, it probably... Nah, I don't know if it would have exploded and be like, hey, man, this is a good game. Everyone should go download it. But like, it would have felt more right in that price range. So, yeah. As always, Attack the Backlog is a forever changing, adapting series. And speaking of changing, let's change topics to what I've been playing. Let's get on 
with the rest of the show, the meat of the show, the main content of this here podcast. Because I've gone on and on about whatever. Enough. The ET. I've gotten so many of their shirts. And they finally sold out of... I don't know if they really sold out or they're just like, we're done selling mystery tees for right now. But you can no longer do that. I got more than enough of those while they were available. And still only one duplicate at this point. I have two more orders with duplicates in them, or not duplicates in them, with mystery tees in them that I have to wait to see what I'll get. But in my latest order that I received, I got a one-piece shirt, which was a very, very pleasant surprise. One of my most pleasant surprises from all the mystery tees. And then one from Summer Games Done Quick 2019, which is what leads me to believe they might just have this crazy inventory of old shirts from the dailies or this promotion or whatever that they didn't ship out for this reason or that reason because they were canceled orders or returned orders. I don't know. I have no idea why they have some of these things. In the case of Summer Games Done Quick, they might make a specific number of those shirts because I don't know if they have them ready to sell on location with that because that's a very different thing. That's a more purposeful thing. I don't know. I have no idea how any of it works, but it was cool to get that shirt. It's, it's a real nice shirt. And their, their Summer Games Done Quick 2021 shirt is available. I don't know if they have multiple shirts, if they do multiple shirts, but their first shirt, if not their only one, is available right now for purchase through June 21st. And they're currently doing, through the weekend, a collection of five different shirts for, I forget what the promotion is. I don't know if you're going to hear the clicking, but I'm going to check what it is right now. The annoying thing is that when they do these things, where it's like, hey, we've got multiple shirts that'll change, or they'll be highlighted through the weekend, you can buy them all right away. You don't have to wait 24 hours for the next batch of the collection. But like they put some as being sold out, so there's five of them for the Power Up With Pride collection, which is another type of speed running, I guess, charity drive thing that is going on. And they have some Sonic ones, a Dr. Morrow one. I, I guess this is a Final Fantasy dude. Blue, the blue outfit and hat and the wand staff and the just black circular face and the yellow eyes. I think that's a Final Fantasy character. <laughs> and then of all the ones they have, the five ones, they have an adorable, adorable, absolutely beautiful Kirby one which is the only one that is currently unavailable for adding to your cart. And it's driving me nuts because I just want to order these. Because for all of them, $5 of every sale goes towards the Trevor Project. And even though I don't, I don't care about Final Fantasy all that much, and the, the Dr. Mario one is, is pretty solid. Sonic, whatever. I mean, I, I like the designs on the Sonic ones. They're very cool and unique. So I appreciate those. But you tell me that purchasing this part of the proceeds is going to go to charity. I'm like, sure, 
I will add to my collection with some more comfy shirts while giving a little to a great cause as well. I'm in. I'm in. You got me. I'm good. So there's that. Now that I've rambled on for for like fucking five more minutes after I said I was going to stop. Okay, on to what I've been playing. So Made of Scare is a horror game with a lot going on. That It has things I love about it, things I don't love about it, and I, I don't know what to think about it because I'm very conflicted. At its core, the main, main game on default difficulty and higher ones is a avoidance, run and hide, hold your breath game. You don't really have anything at hand to defend yourself against the enemies of this world, except the thing you get later in the game that is okay, but not super useful. But, and and the thing is, you go to this hotel, I believe it is, and a story plays out. The story is okay, but it's really the atmosphere and the sense of tension that the game builds that is really, really strong within the game. And I love it. It looks great. And I just, I love the atmosphere that it builds and creates within the game. I think it does a great job with that. And the, the enemies are varying degrees of, eh, to, it's kind of interesting to, uh, I, with some of the enemies, I just look at them and I'm like, I wish you looked as polished as the environment because they're kind of not great to look at model wise. But the thing about the game is you have one. I, okay. I do not like horror games that don't give you ways of defending yourself that are really just, okay, you got to hide. You got to hold your breath. You got to do whatever and just avoid the enemies. You can't really attack them, defeat them, what have you. You're just going to have to run and hide. And I, I hate that gameplay loop. So that was an immediate hurdle. But when I booted up the game, one of the first things I took note of, and I was like, yes, 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 is the fact that there is a safe mode, which I adore in any game like this, especially a horror game that is trying to put out a story that is more than just how you're in this room and there, there, there are monsters in it. This is trying to tell the story, which is it's okay. The story's okay. But the game does include a, a safe mode that removes all the enemies that wander the world. The jump scare moments with enemies and whatnot still exist. So you will not be completely safe. You'll, you'll be safe in the, in the sense that nothing can kill you. You'll never be in any actual danger, but there will still be those specific story beats that are just there because they are part of the story and progress it forward. So there are still scares within the safe mode, but nothing you ever have to actually worry about. So that's good because I I played the game for a bit on the easiest normal difficulty or whatever and then i restarted it you don't have multiple safe slots slots so 
I, I just completely wiped my original save. I, I, I'm doing this for you people. And that is, that is the, the difference. So that is nice. However, the thing that bums me out so much is that in addition to the story mode, which is what I, I was just talking about, where you're, you're hiding, you're avoiding, and all that, there are these challenges. And in these challenges, I, I think there are four of them. I'm, I, I, at least three of them, maybe one of them you don't. But in at least three of them, you have a full arsenal of weapons at your disposal to deal with the enemies. The, the challenges rank in difficulty and how aggressive the enemies are, how much damage they take, how much damage they'll do to you, and stuff like that. And these challenges aren't like little 10-minute things or anything. They're, they're really meaty. They're like over half hour in, in length and stuff. And I, I was playing through the first challenge where I was immediately given a shotgun, a rifle, a pistol, an axe off the bat. And ammo is more than plentiful in the world. And playing through the game that way, I was I was so bummed because I was having a blast. I maybe I don't know what's out there in terms of the horror genre and horror games, but I feel like we have so many of those hide, avoidance, etc. I don't want to say clones, but we just have so many of those games from Amnesia to Outlast to Slender Man, to all those types of games where you don't have any way of defending yourself. You just have to hide. You have to avoid the enemies. And we don't have anywhere near as many Resident Evil type clones as we should. And I, I don't get why that is. Uh, is it just that within the horror community, the horror genre, those fans really like the tension that brings? You know, even... Alien Isolation is that to an extent, I, I believe. I think you might give like a gun at some point, and there are like maybe Marines you can deal with, and androids that you can take out. Maybe I, I don't know. It's still very limited, as far as I know. And I don't understand why we don't have more games trying to be like Resident Evil, because Resident Evil is great. People like Resident Evil, and if there were more games. That were like Resident Evil. I guess the Evil Within games are in the same vein. But like that, of course, because of who's behind it, makes sense. But I want more games like this. And the challenge mode that I played, I, I just played through the, the first one, is so good. I had so much fun with it. Because I had these weapons at my disposal. So I never felt, even though I was tense and... You know, taking my time through it, not just rushing around because there are enemies all over the place and there are enemies who can teleport and shoot beams at you and explode when they die. It just was a completely different experience. And when I was playing it that way, it reminded me of Bioshock in a way, in part because the enemies, some of them have very underwater the, the first Bioshock uh, some of the enemies have underwater aesthetics so there's one enemy that has a diver's helmet and they can shoot beams at you 
and, and you also can't shoot them in the head because of that, so you have to hit them in the body, and, and because of that, they'll take more damage. But it kind of felt like a small-scale Bioshock set in this large hotel with intricate pathways and, and ways of going around exploring it, where you'll go into the basement, then you go up to uh, the second floor, and you go through vents and all these things, and it's just... It was so much fun playing the challenge mode. And I was surprised as I played it, the fact that it just kept going on and on. I'm like, this has to be nearing its end. I, I'm pretty sure this is the end. And it's not like a six-hour campaign or something, but it is meatier than I expected. And I just, I wish it was a six-hour campaign. I wish the main story of Made of Scare was that because I think that is where Made of Scare really stands out and is at its best. The The combat feels solid, and I just, I had so much fun playing the challenge mode that I wish the main game was that. So I, I'm so conflicted with Made of Scare because I think the main game is, I mean, if you if you like those types of games where you have to avoid and hide and all that, maybe you'll like it, but I wasn't feeling the game that much, whether playing through it on the easier difficulty or in safe mode. In safe mode, you really don't have any sense of tension because it is safe mode, and that's that's to be expected. I, I didn't expect any kind of tension, but that allows you to realize how meh the story is. It's not a terrible story or anything. It just isn't anything special. But when you go into that, man, I just can't emphasize this enough. The challenge mode is the best part of Made of Scare for me. I just, I loved it. And it is the the only way I'll probably play that game. But it was really good. I, I can't, I can't recommend that mode highly enough. The game itself, yeah, I, I don't, I can't remember how much it is. If it's in the $20 range, 20 to $30 range, I would I would recommend it. I, I, I'm trying to think what I recommend it. Wouldn't I recommend it? I would recommend it because I think the, the main story stuff is solid even if it didn't work for me. And then you have these challenges that are really, really strong. I, like, they're, not, they're not like the most amazing thing in the world. I'm sure if I, or when I get around to Resident Evil 7, I'm be like, man, I know I like Made of Scare. But this Resident Evil 7 and this Resident Evil 8, whoo boy. Now this, this is the thing. But uh, as far as I I can say right now, I, I really like the, that damn challenge mode. Then, that's enough about me to scare. Then, Mighty Goose is a side-scrolling action platformer where you play as a goose in a powered suit that is very, 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 so obviously heavily inspired by Metal Slug, and it does it justice. It's a pretty fun side-scrolling shooter that does its best Metal Slug impression. A lot of the aesthetic looks ripped straight from Metal Slug. You will have a tank that you can jump into that looks like it just is right from Metal Slug. 
the shooting and the jumping and all that feels pretty good. It looks great. Wonderful, wonderful pixel art. It's got a nice cheeky sense of humor. Though the one negative I'd say about the game is that while it does look really good, it it can get so hectic on screen with so many particle effects and so much shit going on, so many explosions that it's borderline impossible to see what is actually happening so that an enemy shooting at you, you, you could take damage from a projectile that you just can't see because you, you don't know what the fuck is going on on the screen. There's just so much going on that it's impossible to see what is happening. But overall, the game is pretty easy until you get to the bosses which can be a little bit challenging just because the bosses all take a fair amount of damage before they go down but the checkpointing is decent it seemed inconsistent where i would miss like there would be times where i would be sent way further back than i expected and then i would reach the point where i died again die again and then there'd be a new checkpoint I hit for whatever reason. So I don't know if that was like a little bug thing or whatever. But Mighty Goose is a fun little game where, you know, if you like Metal Slug, you like side-scrolling action shooters, it's definitely worth checking out. You're able to upgrade your goose via, what are they called? Like these modifiers that you have a, a specific power level. So you can't just equip all of them but you'll unlock more as you play more and one will give you like what what do they do one i can't even remember what they do like one of them i think you you can bounce around in a ball you also have a companion at your disposal who will join and maybe drop ammo for you whenever you run lower not ammo they will give you machine gun ammo because you just have a base pistol and this initial pig you get will just drop ammo for you and, and other companions who will help you out in this way or that way. You can only take one with you uh, during any level. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I also like the fact that in the options menu, the, the accessibility options, they do have a button for you to turn on auto firing because every gun machine gun, shotgun, whatever, none of them are automatic. So the machine gun may shoot a three-round burst or whatever, but you have to keep pressing the button to shoot it rapidly. And I don't like that for multiple reasons, one of which is I, I, I find the act of mashing buttons to be something that always brings me a bit of dread over the fact that I feel like I'm destroying my controller slowly or maybe rapidly over a short period of time, and I don't like the thought of damaging my controller, but I, I appreciate that that is in there. But that is Mighty Goose, and I <clears throat> played all of these on the Xbox. I need to drink some water. My throat is getting really dry, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a sip. Mmm. Can you hear that? I hope you don't hear that. Am I gonna cut all this out? I don't think so. I think this is good content. Then Rise of Slime is a Slay the Spire. Sloan. Sloan? <laughs> Slay the Spire Sloan. <laughs> ah! It's a Slay the Spire clone that tries to change things up in 
kind of interesting ways, but it doesn't really go far enough. It doesn't really hit the way it should. So the way Rise of Slime changes things up, because it is very much so at, at its core, Slay the Spire, you fight enemies via a, a card battling system, and you can see if the enemy is going to attack or defend or what have you. And I'll, I'll get to the combat system shortly. But the way it switches things out is that instead of having an overworld map where you go from encounter to encounter to encounter, maybe there'll be a shop along the way or a campsite along the way that you can rest at. It is built on this very basic side-scrolling setup. It's just a flat plane, and you're just going from left to right. And there'll be ways you can interact with the environment here and there. Sometimes there might be a pot that you can lift and drop on an enemy, which is kind of nice. And you're just, you're just going from left to right. And there'll be branching paths every now and again where like a portal shows up. But this whole side-scrolling system comes to play within the combat scenarios as well. So... In addition to the core card battling system, or card playing system, I, I, I don't know if you'd call it card battling, but in addition to the, that aspect of the combat, placement matters as well. So in order to attack an enemy, you have to be right next to them. If you're not, I mean, there, you have ranged attacks as well, depending on the cards you have, the, the deck you brought with you, etc. But if you just have say basic sword attacks you're going to have to get right next to the enemy to attack them you can also get behind them and do extra damage by backstabbing them so enemy placement your placement all that is a factor and comes into play when doing the combat which is a cool wrinkle to the formula but they don't they don't really go that far with it and it ends up being more tedious than anything else because what you really end up doing a lot of the time is you're not going to waste multiple cards unless you have like a dashing teleport one on you you're not going to use multiple cards to get behind an enemy to backstab them for double damage when you could just use two cards to do the same amount of damage by walking up to the front of them and yeah doing that that way but they, they just don't go far enough with that to make things more interesting and to add depth to it. But to go to the actual combat, the card system where like, okay, you'll play shields to defend, you'll play swords to attack, and you'll play certain magic things to add status effects and stuff like that. What I really, really, really don't like about Rise of the Slime that is existent, that exists within Slay the Spire, is that while, yes, you see what the enemy is going to do, whether they're going to attack or defend, you don't see what they're actually going to do. So in Slay the Spire, you would see how much damage an enemy was going to deliver, how much defense they were going to put up. And you could build your strategy around that. So you could say, well, the enemy is going to attack me 
for four damage the next round. So I only have to defend up to four. I only need to shield myself up to four HP. And then I could use that extra action point to attack them. You can't do that because you don't have any of that information. You're just given the base information of they're going to attack or they're going to defend or whatever. And I really hate that because it, it does make your ability to strategize harder and it, it kind of just forces you to, well, I don't know how much damage these enemies are going to dish out. So I just have to really focus on defending or attacking. Now my, ro my rose is running. My nose is running. What is going on with me? I'm just like all over the place. Nose is running. Mouth is getting dry. It's a, it's a crazy thing. I don't know what's happening. Am I, am I sick? Or is this, this podcast is making me sick. Rise of the Slime is making me sick. But that lack of transparency as to what the enemy is actually going to do specifically really annoys me uh, and frustrates me. It's the, the challenge is there, uh, but I, I found that a real strong way to deal with enemies that can be super overpowering right off the bat. But this is usually the case in these games that once you get a handle for it, the like status effects can really come into play. You will also be able to summon pets with you and take them with you. And they will do something like deliver or deal acid damage or fire damage to an enemy at the start of every turn and this will just keep stacking and stacking and stacking and when I had this acid pet I got to this boss of the first area or whatever and I thought man I don't know how I'm going to get past this but then I had the pet summon them because this is my first run I, I wasn't able to take them right from the get-go because there's the rogue light element that I'll get to shortly but I was able to eventually build a stack of like 20 damage that this boss was taking so that I I could just defend, 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 defend and not have to really worry about anything because the stack was getting insane in terms of how much damage it was doing without me having to do anything. But yeah, the, the roguelite elements is that when you, when you finish a run whether it's a success or you die or whatever, you go back to your little area. You can go to your hall of pets and you can take one with you right off the bat to start with you. He'll just hang out with you. And then the gold you earn during that run, you can spend on improving your character for the next run. So it's like Rogue Legacy in that sense, but these, these are not permanent upgrades. These are just for your next your next run. So you can improve your base HP, the amount of action points you have for every turn, uh, an additional slot for pets so that you can have multiple at the same time. And I, I, I really like that aspect of it. I think it adds a nice little uh, way of making it a bit easier. So I appreciate that. It makes it a bit more accessible. Because you can, what it really does is makes, the thing about Rise of the Slime is that your first run, you almost 
it's not that you shouldn't bother because the, the gold you earn will be able to be put towards your next run. But your first run is incredibly limited because you don't have the ability to do that. You can't start off your run with a pet, which you can do with every future run. So your first run really is just say, hey, get a, a handle of the mechanics and then just die and get on with the real show. But I, I got... I got really far with my first run. I, I did eventually just die on purpose to see what else the game had to show for itself. But it's it's a good Slay the Spire clone, Slay the Spire type game that I just am frustrated with because of that one very specific lack of detail in terms of the combat. I just want to know what the enemy is doing specifically so I can better come up with a strategy for how to deal with them. So that is the one thing I would change if they, if they were going to update anything, change anything, that's what I would change. Then Wonder Boy, Asha in Monster World, also known as Monster Hunter, not Monster Hunter, Monster World 4, I guess is there is it, that was a the original title of it or, or what have you. I, I never played the original. This is a very true to the original remake uh, that, that is, I guess, borderline one to one. If you do, I need I need to get the the email to get the the full details because if you get the physical edition, you do get the original version as well as a bonus. I think it is included on the Switch cart. And then as a download for PlayStation 4. But I'll get the specifics to, to let it be known for sure. Uh, yeah, As a bonus, exclusive to the box versions, the digital version of Wonder Boy blah, 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 can be purchased from... Blah, 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 exactly. The digital version of Wonder Boy Asha and Monster World does not come with the original Monster World 4. The box retail version is released and... Published by Inin Inin Games, Inin Games, Inin Games, and it comes exclusively with the original Monster World Four game. Uh, I, I I got a code for it, uh, both versions, uh, the the original one, some solid emulation right there, but yeah, it, the the physical version is the only way to get that. Bonus. You can't get it by just purchasing the digital version, which is frustrating. Just because, like, I, I get like limited editions, special editions, physical editions, all that is great. People who like to collect things, like myself, good for that. But making it so that the game is only purchasable, obtainable via that route for people who really don't want physical things anymore is frustrating because they, they, you could have someone who's like the biggest Monster World fan and they want to have that copy of the original game. And you're probably saying to yourself, if they're really big fans of that, they're old enough that they probably are all about physical media, which is probably true. But maybe they're not. Maybe they moved on with their life. Uh, but to speak to the game, the remake, it looks all right. It has 
3D cel-shaded art. It doesn't look as good as the games from, what is the name of the studio? But like the, the Dragon's Trap game or the Mazer World. Was it 3 game? Um, but it, it, looks, it looks fine. My, my real problem with it is that as someone who never played this game back in the day, I think it is incredibly dull and pretty easy. I just played through it for a while and I was bored throughout. I, I never had fun going through the world, doing any of the platforming, attacking any of the enemies. It just felt like I was on autopilot almost immediately. And yeah, it was it was very it wasn't engaging at all. It was just kind of there. And when I stopped playing, I was like, okay, whatever. It's fine. Uh, I, you know, if, if you're a fan of the original game, you'll probably be super happy because of how true it is to the original and all that, from what I've heard. Uh, not from experience that I would be able to say that. But it, it just it didn't do anything for me. It just kind of bored me to tears. Tears of sadness because I wanted to like it more than I did. But then Warhammer Age of Sigmar Stormground is another rogue light like that is a, a tactics game. So think XCOM in that vein, hexagonal based tactics game where you have a hero and then they're able to summon various troops using whatever currency during encounters, during missions. And it's it's solid. The The gameplay feels pretty good. It's a lot of their, your traditional stuff of, okay, having the high ground will give you an advantage. You'll have shields that will be able to take some of attacks when it happens. Um, it's... It's it's fine. I, I, I enjoyed the time I put into it, but I would have to put way more time into it. However, the, the real thing about it is that it crashed on me multiple times, and I lost progress, and that needs to be fixed. But the gameplay was pretty good. Um, I, I, I don't know how deep the roguelite mechanics are in it. But it, it seems decent. And that reminds me, I forgot to mention one game at the top of the show, which is in Early Access, and it's called The Last Spell. And this is a game where know, all these mages in the world, or, or one of them first found this like super powerful spell that could do a lot of damage, and they wanted to use this to maybe stop these people or whatever. And then... When these other mages saw how destructive this purple magic was, like, well, I got to get in on this. And it basically just led to everyone finding this magic and using it on each other, destroying the world as they did so. And they finally come to make a pact to come together to remove magic from the world. And in order to do so, they have to do this last spell, but they have to build up to it. So what you are doing in the game is protecting these mages while they work on crafting, putting together the last spell. And you'll take waves of enemies 
take on waves of enemies uh, while this happens. It's PC only. I don't know if it'll be getting a console release or anything. And it's in early access. It is said in the description to be planned to be in early access for at least a year, but maybe longer if, if they feel like they need it, depending on how the game starts shaping out or whatever. So it's pretty far out. However, what is there is pretty polished and pretty good. There are some key basic-ass things that should be there that aren't. Uh, I'll get to that. But the, the core gameplay is there and is solid. And I, I was really surprised by it. So the thing about The Last Spell really is that there is so much going on in it. You have your, also it's, it's a, like a tactics-based thing, XCOM turn-based combat. And so you have your, your tactics gameplay in it. Then you have base building, town building, you have resource gathering. You have not crafting. Like, there are just a lot of systems in place and a lot of things going on. And the thing that I hinted at moments ago is that while there is a lot of stuff in here and, and what is there so far is pretty solid, there aren't any real onboarding features of the game. So there's no... I, I think there might have been like a mild tutorial that gives you some ideas. But... There isn't a lot within the game telling you about everything that is in it. The settings is fucking so bare bones that unless I completely missed it, there is no way to check the key bindings. So when I got to a point where I wanted to build out my defenses for the next incoming wave and I wanted to put up some fences, I had no idea how to rotate the piece so that I could put it in a way that it would block against the incoming wave instead of it just being perpendicular or whatever and I didn't know how to rotate them so I just didn't end up using the fences and that was frustrating because I was like okay I'll, I'll just check the settings and, and see what the actual controls are and then there's nothing there there's barely any visual settings you can adjust I think maybe just like resolution so I think one of the things they should do pretty soon is put some more onboarding stuff in the game, some more information. And if nothing else, for the love of God, just put the fucking controls in the settings. If they're, if they are there and I missed them, I'm sorry, but I swear to God, they weren't there when I checked. But when I actually started playing the game, what I immediately thought of, because I, I didn't know what to expect when I started the, the, the first wave, you have your three, main starting, not heroes, but just units. You have a ranged archer class, a mage class, and your brute, your, your sword class, your knight class, essentially. You know, the, the traditional three classes to start any of these games with. And you start every battle that, that happens every day by placing your units where you want them. And when you start the wave, you'll be in for a surprise because there are more enemies than you probably were expecting. Uh, I was not expecting it, and I immediately thought of they are billions. However, whereas 
I found their billions to be incredibly overwhelming in large part because I believe that is a, a real-time strategy game. The, the fact that this is turn-based made that initial overwhelming feeling subside because I had the time to really think things through. I'm, I, I know you could pause real-time strategy games to figure things out, but I, I think the, the more specific, ingrained time between things that's inherent in turn-based games works better for me. The, you know, it's not something, it's not a choice I'm making. It's part of the gameplay, the fact that it is turn-based. And I was initially, when I, I looked at the combat and the enemies coming in, I was like, holy crap, how the, I have three units. How the hell am I going to deal with these? They just keep coming and it's more and more and more. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but you have a pretty good bit of, bit of, you have a pretty good array of abilities at your disposal for your various classes, your various units. The archer in particular has a lot of area of effect attacks that can take, not take down, but damage a good chunk of enemies at one time so that he can take down or, or attack six at a time. This will use your mana, which replenishes through the night as you work your way towards the next encounter. Uh, you'll have a handful of workers that you can use to replenish the HP of, of your units, the MP, and, and all that, in addition to buying new gear, building shops, and, and all that kind of stuff in between encounters. But the core combat felt pretty good. I did learn the hard way that f uh, friendly fire is a thing when I saw there were two enemies that had gotten to my mages working on the last spell. And I said, okay, I'm going to take them both out at the same time using my archer. And I'm going to do a big old drop of arrows that land on six spaces. I wasn't thinking, oh... Well, those arrows are also going to hit mages, and it did, and that's how I ended up losing my first go. Uh, I killed all my mages myself. I, 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 I destroyed myself. But I, I like what's there so far. I think there's a lot of potential there. I'm curious to see where they go because the core loop there is something I enjoy. And seeing how they flesh it out over the next year, potentially longer, is going to be interesting because the foundation is really solid. It is really strong. And I, I had a good time with it. I, I always struggle to recommend picking up early access games. I, like for me, early access games, you know if they're for you, if you don't mind seeing the game evolve over time and it being bare bones, maybe things that you like will be completely removed. Like, you know if that whole vibe is for you. And if it is for you, I think The Last Spell is a, is a really solid early access game. Uh, and I'm, again, excited to see where it goes. Then, Dark Knights with Poe and Monroe is an interactive movie, I guess. 
It's from the same people who did the whatever doctor thing and some other one that I know has its audience. I never play those games. This is my first time venturing into these things. And conceptually, I really like it. I look at it and I'm like, this is what I want from a visual novel. It's just this story where I can every now and again be given choices and see where the story goes from there. Because the way it's set up is that you'll be watching this video play out. This this is a story of like two radio hosts and some of the crazy things that happen to them. And you'll be watching them interact with each other. You'll watch the story play out. And then every now and again, you'll be shown multiple frames and you'll be able to pick one of them to push the the story in a specific direction. I like that. However, when you see the options there, you don't really give, you really aren't given much of an idea of what exactly you're picking. Like there was a thing where it's like, okay, you can push a button on the mixer or you can check out this clipboard. You don't really know what doing either is going to do. I picked the clipboard and I don't know, she was just like reading shit and I was like, okay, I don't, I didn't really get a good sense of what was going to happen. And I don't know if I'm glad I picked this because it didn't seem all that substantial. I, I didn't feel satisfied with my decision. And that was a lot of my time with the game is just not really feeling like I, I knew what I was doing when I was making my decisions. I like the fact that I can make the decisions, but I didn't really get any sense of what decisions I was making but really the problem with the game for me is that I did not give any shits about the story or these characters I think the audio mixing is weird and that I don't know if it's that they're just overly compressed and edited and messed with that the the voices most of the time or a good chunk of the time don't sound natural so you, you it, it looks like the the characters who are part of the story that when they speak it, it's a, a dubbing that it's not them actually speaking because it, it, there is this disconnect sometimes it's not there but a lot of the times it is there and it creates not only this disconnect from both them and the voice I'm hearing, but this disconnect between me and the story I'm seeing play out because there's just this fakeness to it all. But I thought the the story and the characters were just shit. And the chemistry between the two leads wasn't there for me. I, yeah, I I, I wasn't feeling it at all i think some of the editing is annoying with how many cuts they're doing and there were plenty of times where i'm like what why why did you cut to this part why do you keep cutting back and forth between these two characters when just one of them is talking you keep cutting every now and again to the other one so they they can show the reaction or whatever but the reaction doesn't really it doesn't make sense to show me the reaction. I, I I don't feel like I got anything out of seeing that reaction. It's just, it, it it wasn't doing anything for me. I, I'm curious about their other games because maybe they'll 
be more interesting story-wise, this being just this radio host thing and the weird things happening. But yeah, I was pretty underwhelmed by it. Then Death Crown is a real-time strategy game where it feels like a phone game or something. It's very basic, but kind of just immediately frustrating and tedious. It reminds me of stuff like I don't know, Haxon, Haxion. Ones where like you 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 cre- you create your towers, your various resources, your camps that build troops, and then you send them to enemy towers or whatever to destroy them until you get to the the main base of your enemy and destroy that. And those games have always been tricky. I've, I've always found them tricky and how easy it is for them to go from feeling really good to more tedious and just how long it takes to to build up everything and, and get things going and i i i could not get into death crown uh, i i don't like the look of it either it's using a very 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 uh early ass i, I think it calls itself or I, I I've seen this somewhere. It's like oh, it's it's a one bit game, and visually, artistically, it doesn't look terrible. But like some of the the text then just is annoying to look at in its stylized form. But ultimately, it's it's the gameplay that matters, and I did not really care for the gameplay. And then last but not least, but again least is Leisure Suit Larry: Wet Dreams Dry Twice, which is the sequel to the last game that came out. It's a point-click adventure, of course. This is a, a I, I, I was going to say it's a prestige series or something. It, it's a long-running series. Leisure Suit Larry has been around for a very long time. I have no real love for it or nostalgia associated with it. I think maybe the original point-click adventure game is beloved or something. The thing is, Leisure Suit Larry has not aged well. He he is a character out of time that isn't funny today. But at the same time, I wonder if he was ever funny. I wonder if Leisure Suit Larry was ever a funny character. Because it's just the humor in it, the jokes in it are all uh, the game. <sighs> the game is just a big fat ugh and sigh all the time. I don't think any of the humor lands. I don't like any of the jokes. The game can be a little finicky to control. I do appreciate one thing that I am sure is in other point-click adventure games, but I really do like is the fact that at the very least, when you are messing around and, and in different spaces, when you want to leave and go to a different room, whatever, instead of having to wait for your character your on-screen character to walk to the exit and then go through it. You just double press, and in this case, the A button, the interact button, to immediately jump to the next room that you were trying to go to. I, I like that, uh, but I just I don't I don't like Leisure Suit Larry. I don't like Larry. I don't think the humor is funny at all ever, and the story I don't care about. They do at least if you, for whatever reason, are jumping into this without playing the 
the last game. They they give you context and all that, which is nice that you can skip over. But I I just I don't I don't I don't see the appeal of Larry in any way. I'll I'll at least say that I think the game looks good. I, I like the visual style. It's very clean. Got some nice color to it, but it's also plain and lacks any kind of oomph that will make it memorable. It looks nice, sure. It's a game that you would look at and be like, hey, that, that looks that looks pretty good. But then five minutes later, you'd be like, uh, well, I don't remember exactly how. I, I think it, you know, it just looked nice. I don't have I, any other descriptors for it because it doesn't stand out in any way. It doesn't have a unique aesthetic. It is just very nice and clean, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it also just is a game that, you know, you know if you like it, I guess. I mean, if you've been a fan of Leisure Suit Larry for a long time, I good on you. Um, I'm sure you'll like this. But I think most people will not get much out of the humor because it's not, I'm not a huge fan of Judd Apatow, but it's not that level of raunchy, whatever, juvenile humor. It is, I don't know what the comparison would be. It's just, it's like, the worst of the worst Adam Sandler movies, I, I guess, maybe. I haven't seen them, so I can't say. But it's just, it's it's not it's not good. I don't I don't I don't see any appealing factor of Leisure Suit Larry. If you want that point and click adventure gameplay, there's so many better options out there. There are cheaper options out there because I think this is a forty dollar game. So, what or who? This game is for is the diehard Leisure Suit Larry fan who already knows they want it. So this whole part of the podcast where I just talked about the game meant nothing because I, I just basically said, well, if you want it, you already know you want it and you already got it. So nothing really matters. And if you don't know if you want it, you definitely don't want it because there's nothing really that great about it. So, uh, yeah, that is it. That will do it. For this, I think, uh, longish episode of the podcast. Hold on, we grab it as long. Jesus, that is a long episode. All right. Well, I got to, I got to, this is recorded again on the Friday. I haven't gotten to see that, that, that. That's how you know I'm still like just working through things that I haven't been able to start recording again earlier. I want to edit this because there are a few points I know that I want to get. Oh, here, I want to edit those parts of the podcast. But, uh, yeah, that is it. That is all. That will do it for this year episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am Marcus Ness. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com, where you can find this podcast as well as Attack the Backlog. A new one will be going up this Sunday. Not sure what it's going to be, but get excited because the next four... Maybe, because I I have other ones that will be finished before then. But the four that I have in the can, in the bank, are all varying degrees of positive. So, no more stinkers, potentially in the near future. But definitely not this one. The the, the episode that will be going up this Sunday will be about a game that I enjoyed maybe a lot. Maybe a little, or maybe a lot. You'll just have to wait and see. 
But yeah, you can find all of those podcasts on podcast services across the globe, which I may have already said, but I said it again. If you'd like to check out my streaming over on the Twitch, I'm at twitch.tv slash pxsausage. So I'm pxsausage there as well. Why not hang out? I stream, or, or the schedule is, I, I still may miss a night or two here and there as, as I just get everything working. My schedule is Monday through Fridays, 8 p.m. Central Time to 11 p.m. with the weekend stream at the same time, if I'm feeling up to it, if I don't have outstanding work that I need to get done. So... Yeah, that is the schedule that works for you. Then uh, stop on by, hang out, maybe just join the stream, open the page and leave it running, mute it so that I can get that average viewer count high enough so that I can eventually get to that affiliate part, which is, is no big deal there. But uh, yeah, um, I, I've been enjoying streaming and I, I am looking forward to getting more into it hopefully building a small little community and seeing how it all grows and and uh, how things change and I adapt to it and whatever. But then if you'd like to check out more fancy edited videos, you can go over to youtube.com slash pixelated sausage and watch stuff like Attack the Backlog there. Uh, yeah, like, subscribe, hit that bell, baby. Do all that jazz if you, if you want. If you, if you don't, that's fine too. But that is again youtube.com slash pixelated sausage. If you'd like to check out the art I make, you can go back to the site, pixelatedsausage.com. And if you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this here episode and I hope you have a Wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Ah.